0: Well, hi everyone. Hi. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter ten this evening. If you need a Bible, Greg's up and he'll bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Joshua chapter ten. Reminder for us guys: we do have our men's prayer breakfast this Saturday morning at eight thirty. So I invite you to come out for that so we can get together and pray. And I don't know if you noticed or not, when you pulled up, maybe you didn't. We got new banners on the light poles outside. So when you get ready to go home, you, well, it's dark, but you might be able to see it. So it says, welcome to our church and come wor- worship with us. And so we thought, yeah, it might be kind of cool. So we put one there and one there, and it just looks good. So, you know, something to do. Joshua chapter 10. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time tonight that we can gather together, Lord. We can worship you. Lord, and and just pour our hearts out to you in praise and adoration, and Lord, truly you are our good Father. Lord, you're there for us through thick and thin and hard times and good times, and just thank you for that. Thank you for just the joy it is to be able to open up your word and to know, God, that you are here and you want to speak to our hearts and and teach us through, um, through the book of Joshua, lessons we can learn. Lord, we pray your blessing upon our time, upon the time downstairs for the kids as they are taught your word as well, just that the power of your Holy Spirit would go through and touch our life tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the book of Joshua, as we've noted in past studies, it's all about taking the promised land, the promised land of learning how to receive all that God has for us uh, in our personal life, victory over sin, experiencing God's Power and, and peace and presence and and all that, and, and the principles that govern the nation of Israel take in the promised land as we read about in Joshua, same principles that help us live in god 's promises today now we 've seen so far Israel had a great victory in taking the city of Jericho, and all they did was march around the city and, and, and shout, and God knocked down the walls. next, Israel had this humiliating defeat in AI, but it was all because they were sitting in the camp and, and once Achan was dealt with and, and his problem with his sin, God gave them great victory in Ai. Lesson learned. If, God wants to, or if, if we want God to move mightily in our lives, we must not hold on to, to secret sins and, and that type of thing. Well, then we looked at the importance of prayer last week as the Gibeonites pretended to come from a far country. And we read there that they worked craftily in verse 4 of chapter 9 and, and went and pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks on their, on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves. They, they really put on this show uh, you know, for Joshua and the leaders of Israel. And, and, and you know, Joshua and the leaders of Israel, they bought it. They, they failed to, to seek the Lord and as a result, Israel made this vow, this this covenant with the Gibeonites, not to harm them. But, as we also saw, the Gibeonites were off not off scot-free. Although the covenant was honored, the Gibeonites were, were um, you know, they were cursed with slavery, cutting wood, drawing water for the house of God. But as we looked at last week, better to be a slave in the house of God than a prosperous man in the world. Or Psalm 84 verse 10 tells us, For a day in the courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Well, that brings us now to chapter 10. Soon after this covenant was made with the Gibeonites, word got out and now the enemies of Israel are now enemies of the Gibeonites. These people that desired to align themselves with the Israelites found themselves ready to be attacked. Why is that? Well, because anyone who desires to make peace with God, Satan is going to make war with them. Each time we find ourselves going closer and closer to the Lord and and who Jesus Christ is, Satan is working against that close relationship that we're attempting to build. So as the people of Gideon decided to draw closer to God, immediately Satan and all his foes, all of his forces decided to come against the Gibeonite people. Look now at verse 1 of chapter 10. Now it came to pass when Adonai, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he has done to Jericho and its king, So he had done to Ai and its king, and now the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel, and were among them that they feared greatly. Because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than than Ai, and all its men were mighty, therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eklon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Now let me say this. This is the first mention in the Bible of the city of Jerusalem. But, it, but it's a Canaanite Jerusalem. And we know that God had made the promise that the land was going to be uh, the, the, the Jews' land. God gave Jerusalem to, to the Jews, period. But notice what's happening here. Here we have the enemies of each other. Adonai, Zedek, king of Jerusalem. Hoam, king of Hebron. Pyram, king of Jarmuth. And so on. All these enemies uh, of each other, they're coming together. You know, you know the old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And the king of Jerusalem heard that the Gibeonites made peace with Israel, so uh, they were traitors as far as the other Canaanite nations were concerned. So, so something had to be done. Verse 4, he sent out a message Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Now let me say this the plan was a good military plan. Ben band themselves together so they can destroy the Gibeonites. I think as believers we can learn something from those who are against God, and that is we as Christians many times need to bury our differences for the sake of coming together against the enemy. doesn't matter if you come from a Baptist church or an Assemblies of God or Methodist church or Presbyterian or Pentecostal. When it comes to the things of God, social issues in our society, there needs to be a united force when it comes to abortion. We need to come together against it and make our shields of faith together, our voices, our voices can be heard. When it comes to sexual immorality in our culture, we need to come together as a church and say, hey, this is wrong. When it comes to voting and electing our leadership, the church needs to come together and be heard. When it comes to policies and laws, the church needs to come together and vote and write our congressmen and senators. We're not called to stay on the sidelines just because we're Christians. If anything, we're called to get involved. And I would encourage, if any Christian, if so-called, has to be a calling to enter politics, to see about, about running for the school board or the city council or to bring godly morals back to our society. Because when we band together, there's power to make a difference. United we do stand, but divided we do fall. Now there's a message that is here to what the enemy has done in being united against the forces of good. But what ends up happening here is interesting, though. Take a look at verse 5. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Egalon, gathered together and won up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Now we see Joshua's reply in verse 7. Too bad, we don't like you anymore, you tricked us. No, he doesn't say that. Look. So Joshua sent him from he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor, and the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I've delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Now remember the vow Joshua made with the Gibeonites. The results of if you'll be our slaves, you know, cutting woods and drawing, you know, because of, of what you've done, you're going to be our slaves cutting wood, drawing waters for us. In other words, they have a servant relationship with the Jews. But let's look at it from the other way around. The Jews had a master relationship with the Gibeonites. And if someone's going to attack my servants, then they're attacking me. Isn't that the same thing we see today? Joshua, whose name means Jehovah is salvation, it's the name of Jesus in the Greek in the New Testament. Joshua is a type of our Savior, our Master, Jesus Christ. And when we are about to get attacked because we're servants of the Lord, you know, they're attacking the Lord as well. Joshua 5, Joshua, John 15, verse 18 to 19, Jesus told us, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, no servant is greater than his master. You know, if they, they hate him, they're, they're going to hate us. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, though, tells us this. For the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you the victory. Our master comes in because we're his servants. He says, I'll fight for you. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? See, the servants of the Israelites, they were in trouble. And this master-servant relationship, Joshua says, we're going to help you. I'm going to help you in such a way that the witness of my help will be even displayed with my character and attitude and we, as we march up on your behalf. And march they did. From Gilgal uh, to, to where the, the Gibeon Knights were, there was a 25-mile march, long journey to help the Gibeonites. Knights. In fact, they climbed up some 4,000 feet across difficult terrain. I mean, that would be difficult for any soldier, especially a soldier who would question the help, the help of someone who had recently deceived them. But here's a heart that's displayed, a heart that says, you mess with them, you mess with us. Now what's interesting is that as Joshua and all the people of the war with him and all the mighty men of valor get to the top of the mountain, they suddenly see this mighty evil army of forces that has joined together to come against the Gibeonites. This was no, no small army. This was huge. Perhaps as Joshua got there, he had second thoughts. After all, again, this was a nation that deceived them in the first place. So, so what if they get destroyed? But a vow is a vow. Joshua would not go back on his word, but he needed something. And we know at this point, Joshua learned his lesson from not praying in chapter 9, and he stops, and he prays, because we know that the Lord answers him. Look at verse 8 by saying, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. I mean, what an awesome assurance that was. Listen, we have the same assurances that Joshua did when we face the battles we face no matter how much force Satan can pull together to come against us in our spiritual battles he will never succeed but we have the whole armor of God to wear that armor is not just to protect us but we have offensive weapons the sword sword of the spirit the word of God prayer two offensive weapons it's then that we put them on and we use them that we we can say as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 50, 57 1557. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he goes on. Look at verse 9. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth, Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makedah, and it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Haran that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and they died. There were more who died from the hailstorms than the children of Israel killed with the sword. So they're fleeing. Israel's attacking. They're fleeing, and God says, "Not so fast." Poof, 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 poof. Just starts taking them out one at a time. I mean, it's a crazy thing. I mean, we need, to, we need to stop for a moment and, and take note of how the Lord has been bringing about these victories for Israel. That first war, the first campaign, Israel marched around the walls of Jericho, you know, seven times and shouting, and the walls came tumbling down. Israel has a victory. The war with the Battle of Ai, God planned up something a little different. There'll be an ambush, and just at the right time, you'll come up against these people, and you'll have victory. Here God does something totally different, totally unique, yeah, this mighty army joint forces, the enemies of Israel, and the Gibeonites are, are battling, battling against Israel, and, 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 you know, they know they're losing. And, and, man, they're taking off, and they're fleeing. And God, like I said, God just starts taking them. Like, I mean, could you imagine the scene? You know, wow, we've got to get away. We've got to get away from these guys, and, and poof, this huge hellstorm comes down on them. And, and I mean, the hellstorm, I mean, the size that could kill a man, that's got to be huge. And here are the Israel and Gibeonites going, man, look what God is doing. That is amazing. Seeing that, that God is fighting for them. And, and, and on top of that, know that God is, a, is a, good, a sure shot. We don't read of any of the Israelites or the Gibeonites getting nailed with a hellstorm coming from, you know, the wrong direction. You know, it doesn't say, you know, and five guys were killed with friendly hellstorm fire. You know, it doesn't say that. I mean, God just, just picked them out one by one. Bam, bam, bam. See what's happening here? There's a partnership that's taking place between man on earth and God in heaven. And again, if God be before you, who can be against you? I mean, that's what the book of Joshua is all about. It's about our partnership with God. We seek the Lord. And the Lord not, Lord not only gives us direction, but He gives us victory. It's a partnership. See, there are times in your life as a Christian that God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray all night. Pray all night? Yeah. It's a partnership. And God says, you pray tonight, and then tomorrow I'm going to give you a victory. A victory that you've never, you know, ever tasted before. I'm going to give it to you. And God promises miraculous things will happen. But he's looking for that partnership. Sometimes that partnership may be something weird, something you don't expect. Go march around this wall, you know, of Jericho. And, and sometimes it's just listening to the, the voice of the Lord. Sometimes it's waiting for the orders, the ambush, ambush, you know, an ambush. Come, go and attack that way. Sometimes it means marching, marching all day and all night, putting yourself in the proper position to witness the miracle of God. But it's still a partnership. Rarely do I witness God doing anything in any Christian's life where there isn't that partnership. You know, where they just kind of look back or sit back on some spiritual cloud and say, you know, I'm not going to read, I'm not going to pray, I'm not going to do anything when it comes to having a spiritual walk or spiritual life, but I still expect to have the victory. Really. <laughs> How can that happen? there's no partnership together. Listen, if you want God to fight your battles but you're not laying your heart down upon the scriptures and allowing him to work through the word of God that he's hidden in your heart, if you're not a man or woman of prayer, then how do you expect to have victory? If you're struggling with your finances but you're not seeking the Lord and searching the scriptures to find out what God wants you to do, how do you expect to gain victory over that? You you're going in alone. If you're struggling with pornography and you're not seeking the Lord, searching scriptures, but just expecting God to oh, give you victory, you're mistaken. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Seek the Lord. And listen, when you do, many times God shows up in a big, big way. Look at verses 12 through 15. Then Joshua spoke to the, to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Eidolon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? We don't know. We don't have the book of Jasher. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there had been no day like that, before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel, then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. What? The sun stood still? Well, how big is your God who fights for you? When you've got God as your partner and he's created everything, that means he controls everything. That means victory is certain. I mean, here's a guy like you and me and he's fighting the battles. They've got the enemy on the run but it's getting towards the evening and Joshua's worried. The sun's about to go down big guy, and and if the sun goes down, you know, Joshua thinks we won't be able to finish wiping them out, so he says, sun, stand still. And suddenly, the sun stands still in the heavens and stays in that spot all day long. Now, you may believe God for a healing of a sore toe or an earache, (laughs) but we don't think of God as really intervening in a dramatic, powerful way within our lives, but I think one of the most important things that all of us need to develop is that consciousness of God's presence with us at all times and all places for the big things and the little things. God is absolutely interested even, even in the little things that go on in your life. He's interested in every aspect of your life and the things that cause us concern. Now, with that said, there are many skeptics who claim no way here. And they use this story to discredit the Bible. They say, well, we have knowledge now that they didn't have back then, that the sun doesn't move. It's the earth that rotates around the sun, not the other way around. So obviously this proves that the Bible is not true. But, but you know, through careful research, I have discovered that many reputable meteorologists made the claim today at Springfield sunrise was at it, was it 7.25 a.m. and that the sunset is at 7.18 p.m. In fact, I have a couple of very good weather apps on my phone that tells me the same thing. The sun rose at 725 and set at 718. You see, these naysayers aren't writing letters to their local meteorologist or to the weather channel saying, what mornings are there? The sun doesn't rise, the sun doesn't set. Why? Because they know it's a figure of speech. Now, unfortunately, Christians sometimes, uh, you know, they read stories like this and they like to try and, and defend it themselves and come up with, other stories, many times stories that are made up, and maybe you've heard this before, a story that's been circling for a very long time, almost 40 years now, that with very different, you know, different uh, variations, rather, claiming that NASA scientists were running computer simulations checking the position of the sun and the moon and the planets 100 years from now and 1,000 years from now in order to plot spacecraft tra- tra- trajectories. As they ran their computers up and down the centuries, their machines came to a grinding halt because they showed that one day was missing. And this proves it, that Joshua is right, and what happened here, And, 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 and listen, that story's been proven over and over and over again by secular and Christian sources to be pure fiction. Even without asking NASA, and they've been asked a whole lot of times if it was true, the explanation is obvious. In layman's terms, you can only measure something if you have a visible access to both ends of it. We can, of course, know where the sun and the moon will be in the future and calculate where they were in the past, but we don't have any accurate records of where things were way back then. So there'd be no way that we could see that there was a day missing in ancient past. Now while that, that legend is fiction, there's certainly a great amount of historical data to validate this event. Both Chinese and Egyptian uh, histories record a very long day. Aztec and Peruvian histories record a night twice as long as normal. See, depending on what time of the world you were, you'd have a longer night or a longer day. And all of these date back to the time of Joshua. But in reality, the reason I believe it is because it's in the Bible. Not because of NASA, not because of ancient Egyptian records. You know, God put it in His Word, therefore it's truth. It happened because Joshua said it, and God responded to an incredible word of faith. See, Joshua recognized that time was a valued commodity, and as the sun stood still and continued to reflect in his armor, he witnessed this great victory. God God was partnering in the victory with Joshua. Now, I want to point out here that Joshua was a man who not only sought the word of God, but believed God. We read here that Joshua spoke the words that brought on the miracle. He said, Son, stand still. Sometimes praying is not always asking. Sometimes it is saying with respect. See, Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 7, Asking it will be given to you, seeking you shall find, knock and it will be opened to you. But in Mark 11, verse 23, Jesus tells us this instead. He says, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Kind of shows us that sometimes, sometimes prayer moves out of the realm of asking and leads us to saying, under the direction of God, I need to add, leads us to saying, speaking forth truth. See, all of Israel heard what Joshua said. If he was going to be embarrassed, this would be the time. But God will not embarrass a man who's been with him, received his instructions, and then openly stated them. In this case, something was to take place that was out of this world. And you may say, well, come on, Tom, the sun's standing still. Why didn't the earth burn up? I mean, that's a, the natural resort of what would happen if the sun stood still there. The earth would burn up. Listen, there are many, many research papers that have been done on the subject, but the one that seems to make the most sense to me is that in answers to Joshua's prayer, God caused the rotation of the earth to slow down so that it made one full rotation in 48 hours instead of 24 hours. Because again, if the earth actually stood still, there would be cataclysmic events on the earth. Everything, you know, loose would have been thrown into space and huge tidal waves would have pounded the planet. I mean, you know, if, if you're driving your car and you're going 60 miles per hour and all of a sudden you stop, everything in that car that's not buckled in is going to go forward. And the same thing would happen there. Now, the evidence that time slowing down could have been the case, as in verse thirteen, it says the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day, giving them enough time to complete their victorious battle. But with all that said, if God wanted the, 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 you know, the earth and the sun to set still for an extra 24 hours, he can do it because he created it. You know, and, and it won't burn up. It won't go forward. I mean, God, you know, he's in charge of the universe. So when Joshua says, sun stands still, moon stands still, God would say, there's Joshua proclaiming the word of faith. I'm not going to embarrass him. And instantly the sun's still and the moon is still. But again, here's the point. Not that God could stop the Son of the earth. That's no big deal for the one who created everything. But the big deal was this. Look at verse 14 again. The Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. I love that. The Lord fought for Israel. In answer to prayer, Israel experienced a dramatic intervention of God Almighty. And victory was assured. Now, While Joshua's long day was a miraculous event, not to be repeated, God still listens to the voice of man. He still responds to our cries, intervenes on behalf of his children. For Joshua, God says here, I will do it, but it's the last time I will do it. I will never do that again. Let me say, aren't you glad for that? I mean, aren't you glad that someone can't stand up right now and say, today I have word of faith, son, stop moving. (laughs) Uh, Okay, that's that's not good. See, that's not the way God works. I mean, if someone today decided to positively confess that it would rain all day tomorrow, but then someone stood up today and positive, positively confessed that there'll be sunshine all day tomorrow, then we have a problem. It's like God is in heaven going, going. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, who should I listen to? This He if wants to rain. He doesn't want it to rain. I, but see, you know, that's not how God works. Prayer is not accomplishing the will and way of man. Prayer is accomplishing the will and the way of our Lord. It's what the Lord wants. And it just so happens that though they work in perfect harmony in this scripture because God is the one who gave Joshua the faith in the first place to make such a bold statement to say sun stands still, moon stands still. God gave Joshua that faith in the first place. God acts on that faith and we witness a miracle. But if I start babbling out words of faith from my own way or from my own will, well, I'm just going to end up frustrated because it's apart from God's plan. That's when frustration comes in. But ultimately it's, ultimately, it's all up to the Lord. So isn't it better that I pray according to God's will? Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, look what happens next. There's five kings. Look at verse 16. But the five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Machedah. And it was told Joshua, saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Machedah. So Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and sent men by it to guard them. And do not stay there unless do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Verse 18 kind of sounds a little familiar. Somebody rolls a large stone in front of a cave and somebody guards it and so they don't come out. But I mean, were they able to keep the kings inside this large cave? Sure. Why? Because they're just kings. But I recall a scripture. Where they put the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in a cave and put a stone over it and put guards over it, and we all know what happened there. So you can't keep the King of Kings and Lord of Lords inside the cave, no way, but you can keep common kings in a cave, no problem. Well, why are these Canaanite kings hiding in a cave? Because the sun and the moon were gods to the Canaanites. So can you imagine their shock? Here they're fighting against the Israelites, waiting and worshiping their gods, the sun and the moon. And God decides to allow Joshua's word of faith to come to pass and stop the sun, stop the moon. I bet this was hysterical. I mean, they're crying out to their God, sun, and, and moon God, help them, and, 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 you know, this happens. Joshua sees them, wait a minute, you're, you're calling out to the sun and the moon, do you know who, God, who owns those guys? Okay, God, make the sun stop and make the moon stop, and suddenly it does. And they go, oops, we've been praying to the wrong gods, and they take off of the caves. I mean, you would too if you realize that the God you are worshipping has no power over the only true God. Now, what's interesting is that there's evidence, and maybe you've heard this before, to point to the fact that Islam's Allah is the pagan moon god of ancient Mecca. The Arabic word for God is Allah, where Al is the Arabic for the. Therefore, Allah comes from Al with Allah and removes the I to Allah, which literally means the God. But much like Yahweh or Jehovah is a personal name of God of the Bible, Allah is also the personal name of the moon god, the chief among the 360 pagan idols that were worshipped in Mecca, the hometown of Muhammad. So then, is the god they worship the moon god? Well, consider what ancient uh, pagan Arabians did to worship their moon god, Allah. They prayed while bowing towards uh, Kaaba, the house of Allah in Mecca, In that house, there was a meteorite, a rock from space, and several times a day, they prayed towards that rock, and they visited it once a year, and walked around it several times in a visit. What happens today? About two million Muslims visit Mecca every year and walk around the kebab, this black cube, 40 feet tall. Muslims pray bound towards towards it in Mecca five times a day. The Muslim holy month of Ramadan starts at the sighting of the new crescent moon, Perched on top of of churches across the world is a cross, the symbol of the sacrifice God uh, made for uh, His his people. Perched on top of mosques all over the world is the crescent moon, the symbol of Allah, whose Mahabba chose as the God of Islam. Now when you confront a Muslim on this, they reject it and they say, well, Allah still means all, uh, plus Allah, i.e. the God, and is the same God of the Bible, not the moon God of the pagan pagan Mecca. Well, that if this really is the God they're worshiping, then they should stop bowing down to a meteorite five times a day and a crescent moon and, and you know, should stop, you know, neither start their holy month or on top of a mosque. If they're, if all of are worshiping is generally the God of the Bible, then they should worship the God of the Bible as, as God instructs. Well, here are five kings who worship the moon God, the sun God, hiding out in caves. And again, you would too if you realize that the God you are worshiping has no power over the only true God. You know, the scenario, it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. You don't need to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 6, there are kings hiding out in caves as well. Listen to Revelation 6, verse 15 through 17. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of, of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who was able to stand? Same picture of what we see here. So here Joshua is giving us a sneak preview of what's yet to come. So what happens next? Look at verse 20 through 28. Then it happened. While Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of the slaying them with a great a very great slaughter, till they had finished, that those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua and Macaday in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave. And bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so, and brought out those five kings to him from the cave the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. They just Kind of picture this whole scene. They got them all, they bring them out, they lay them down there, they say, Come and put your your foot on their necks. He goes on, look at verse 25. Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees cast them into the cave where they had been hidden and laid large stones against the cave's mouth which remained until this very day. On that day Joshua took Makedah and struck it with its king with the edge of its sword. He utterly destroyed them. All the people were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Macada as he done to the king of Jericho. What a story. I mean, can't you just see Joshua, a type of Christ, turning to these fellow soldiers as commander of the Lord's army and saying, hey, go get those kings. And now these kings come out humiliated by Joshua. And Joshua takes his foot and puts it on their necks. And he says, hey guys, come here, bring your feet and put on these guys' necks. And as they do, they see Joshua say, God is going to do this to all of the enemies of the Israelites. And then he takes his sword and just, just kills them. Well, Tom, that's gross. We said, that seems so cruel, so mean. But listen, secular history reveals just how wicked these kings really were. We've talked about this before, how depraved and sinful they were. We also need to realize that they had the opportunity to repent. God always warns us before His wrath is being poured out that they have the opportunity to repent. But when they choose not to repent, then they will experience the wrath of God. But I want to point out another unique type of Christ that we see within our text. Over in First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, The scriptures write concerning the last foe to be fought, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And it says there in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians um, 15, For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So that foe, the, the wicked attitude, that wicked spirit of death itself will be put under subjection of Jesus Christ on the very last day. In the same way that Joshua takes those kings and those forces that have been against Israel and uh, puts his foot upon their necks and says, no longer will you have victory over the people of Israel. Jesus Christ uh, says the same thing about death to us. To, to the New Testament saints, he says, I'm putting my foot on the neck of the spirit of death and it will no longer reign over anyone who aligns himself up with me. So as we partake of the goodness of God, God is then like Joshua, fighting the battle for us and puts under subjection these wicked kings and death. Why? So that we can experience life. Abundant life, joyous life, with no fear of death. Only the great anticipation of being with our Savior and our King in eternity. That's how we experience life today. Jesus Christ already won the battle over death and over hell. The victory has been won. And what's interesting is to recognize that once you put somebody under subjection with your foot like that, what can they do? I mean, you got got a sword at their heart and a foot at their neck. What can they do? I think the only thing they can do is is flap their mouths. Oh, wait, when I get off of here, when you get off of me, I'm going to get you, I'm going to hurt you, I'm going to, you know... Really, shut up. See, we got the victory. There's nothing that the devil, I mean, he can, you know... <laughs> Shout all he wants, you know. He can, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna listen, it's already won, it's a done deal. God is in control. We need to recognize that. The victory is ours in Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. Look now at verse 29. Then Joshua passed from Macadah and all Israel with him to Libna, and they fought against Libna, and the Lord also delivered it and its kings into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its kings as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish, and then he camped against it and fought against it. Verse 32, And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hands of Israel who took it on the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword according to all that he had done to Libna. And so Joshua just taking city after city after city. God promised, Hey, we, as we just did this to these kings, we're just going to go through and we're going, to, we're going to take each one. He goes on in verse 34 to take Eglon. Verse 36, Hebron. Verse 38, Debir. We move then to verse 40, and it says, so Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings in their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. I like verse 21. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Why is that? Because God moved in such a radical way, partnering with the people of God, that the people of Israel became a source of fear to all the Canaanites in the land. They knew that with God on their side, on Israel's side, there's no way they could stand. See, that's what happens when you partner in God in prayer and step out in faith. That's what happens when we realize that the battle is not ours, but the Lord's, That he's already won it. It's his foot is on the neck of our enemy. You know, God prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, to our enemy, the devil. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This, of course, speaks of Jesus Christ, the promised seed of Galatians 4.4. 4. Christ would come and bruise or literally crush the head of his serpent. You know, a snake has got just one long neck. You know, just put it on the on serpent's head, just squish him in the, in the promised seed. And, and here we see the picture of the cross. Where Christ was, was bruised for our iniquities and where he cleansed our sin with his own blood, thereby crushing the head of Satan's authority in our lives. Destroying the power of sin over our lives. And now as we trust in the Lord, we need to realize that it's battle. the battle is not ours, but the Lord's. And, and victory is, is ours. We just need to take hold of that victory in Jesus Christ. Listen, Joshua was a man who knew God above all else. The results were impressive, to say the least. Daniel would later write in, in the last part of Daniel 11, verse 32, he says, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. For Joshua, for Daniel, for us, knowing God and trusting Him is the key to victory. Partnering with Him, standing and see what the Lord will do. I mean, you know, it's one of those things to say, Lord, there's a, there's a situation here. I'm not sure I was going to, you know, come out. But Lord, I trust you. I trust you to deal with it. I trust you to come forth in this. And I'm just going to lay it all on your, your shoulders. And God takes care of it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we can bring all our cares, all of our concerns before you. Because you care for us. You care about the little things in our lives and the huge things that are going on in our lives. Father, right now, we may be facing some battles in our lives personally. Maybe there's business battles. Maybe there's personal relationship battles. Maybe there's, there's financial battles. Whatever it is, Lord. We want to partner with you. You've already paid for the victory, Lord. You are already victorious over death, over sin. Lord, we just want to rely on you and watch you move mightily in these places. So we give it all to you, Lord. Lay all of our burdens, all of our cares, we cast at your feet, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the power through your Holy Spirit to do great and mighty things. Lord, as your word says in Jeremiah, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not even know. Jeremiah 33.3. 3. Thank you for that verse, Lord. We do call on you, Lord, and we, we look for you to do great and mighty things. Thank you for this night for this time that we could just worship you together and and dig in your word together and and seek your face, Lord. Help us as we go our way this, this evening, Lord, to keep you at the forefront of our hearts and minds, to be led by your spirit and not by your flesh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.